Welcome everyone to Mystery AI Hype Theater 3000, where we seek catharsis in this age of AI hype. We find the worst of it and pop it with the sharpest needles we can find. Along the way, we learn to always read the footnotes, and each time we think we've reached peak AI hype, the summit of Bullshit Mountain, we discover there's worse to come. I'm Emily M. Bender, 1950s version, a professor of linguistics at the University of Washington. And I'm Alex Hanna, Director of Research for the Distributed AI Research Institute. This is episode 20, which we're recording on November 6th, 2023. And we're going to do some time travel. Picture it. The year is 1956. Women's fashion is pretty uncomfortable. The study of so-called thinking machines is in its infancy. And on the campus of Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire, some male computer scientists are about to spend their summer vacation, quote, founding the field of, quote, artificial intelligence. This was the Dartmouth Summer Research Project on Artificial Intelligence, and from the beginning, it was hypetastic. Today, we're going to look at the grant proposal that funded the summer workshop with researchers John McCarthy, Marvin Minsky, Claude Shannon, and Nathaniel Rochester based on, quote, the conjecture that every aspect of learning or any other feature of intelligence can in principle be so precisely described that a machine can be made to simulate it. Which has already given me flashbacks to our episode on artificial general intelligence. But we're here to witness how AI hype is as old as the field of AI itself and to see what forms it took in 1956. Oh gosh, and for, for y'all listening in that can't see us, uh, Emily's got this amazing... Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, um, Daphne style wig on from Daphne from Scooby Doo, and, and these are meant am- to be cat eye glasses here. <laughs> they're amazing horn rim glasses with these beautiful gold inlays, uh, and this and this wonderful uh, uh purple cardigan. Uh, uh, I've got on uh, kind of a um. Just my regular glasses, but also like a tie and a shirt, my and and and, and a coat. Uh, I I was gonna get a bow tie, but I didn't have time. Um, you know, you can't you can, you take what you can get here. Yeah. So I I pre-purposed this outfit for my Halloween costume, and everyone thought that I was trying to be something from Scooby Doo. I'm like, no. And initially, I was saying I'm a computer operator from the 1950s until Christy, mm-hmm. our producer, said, "Doesn't that make you a computer?" Like, yes, in fact, I'm a computer from the 1950s. Literally, <laughs> literally a computer. Amazing. Also probably look something like the person who did the typing in this artifact we're about to look at. Um, That's right. Because as as we're reading this, all right, here we go. Here's the artifact. Okay. Um, this is a, you can see it. I can't see it yet. Let me fix that. Um, yeah, we're, this is the, the proposal for the Dartmouth Summer Research Project on Artificial Intelligence. I printed it out just to feel much more retro uh, in 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 this very nice um, um, uh, typewriter set, um, probably mimeographed to all hell, um, yeah, et cetera, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, this is um, it, it, yes, definitely mimeographed multiple times. Um, and you know, I'm a little surprised we don't see any comments in the chat yet. I'm wondering if we are actually streaming on Twitch. Um, oh, we are. Yeah. We are okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I guess we have just like bowled over our audience and people can't stand the costumes. Um, so <laughs> so yeah, we've got hellos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was clearly typed on a typewriter um, and therefore not typed by any of the authors. Right. We're talking 1956. Right. Um, these are, you know, 
um, there was some secretary somewhere who took probably some longhand notes that were written, probably fixed the grammar, probably fixed the, yeah. you know, argumentation in several places. Anyway, right. you, you yeah. know, the project, thank you for typing. Yes. You heard of no, that? I don't know that project. That's, that's wonderful. I, I get it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so where are we going in this, Alex? You've got the hard copy. I've got it digitally. What are we yeah. doing? Yeah. So the first page, I mean, so we can't search here, but and I think this is, um, you know, uh, the, you mentioned it in your intro, Emily, um, but, you know, the, they describe the parameters of the project. Uh, you know, we propose a two-month, 10-man uh, study, uh, and literally men, uh, mm -hmm. of artificial intelligence be carried out in the summer of 1956 at Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire. And then the quote here, um, the study is to proceed on the basis of the conjecture that every aspect of learning or any other feature of intelligence can in principle be so precisely described that a machine can be made to simulate it. And so this kind of language of artificial intelligence, just to contextualize it, the language of artificial intelligence is used, you know, and it's, it's, it's typically uh, attributed to John McCarthy um, and sort of as a means of um, basically uh, warding off other competing sort of schools of thought around this, notably um, uh, notably Norbert uh, Wein Weiner, um, am I saying that right? Um, uh, and in his study of cybernetics, uh, basically kind of a personality thing, we want to like head him off at the pass. Um, and so there's a bunch of people um, that are convening at this conference and it's it's sort of this titular event that is used to uh, kind of have the foundation of that. Although there's been other histories uh, written that have that have gone and said, you know, there's a lot of different things done in this. Um, I want to just just briefly look at the budget here. Do, do you oh know yeah, who the, yeah. Who the funder is of this? Rockefeller. Rockefeller is the funder. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. before we get to the budget, because I got stuff to say about the budget too. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Go so back they, up. This is the proposal for Rockefeller, and I forget if Rockefeller provided the um, the requested budget, but we can get to it. Uh, so they talk and they say, and and just the first graph is is helpful just to contextualize it. So after they say um, we're trying to describe the brain, basically, so that the machine can simulate it, they say an attempt will be made. Love that passive voice to find how to make machines use language, form abstractions and concepts solve kinds of problems now reserved for humans and improve themselves. We think that a significant advance can be made in one or more of these problems if a carefully selected group of scientists work on it together for a summer, which this is just such a funny, yeah. hubristic statement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although I have to say that, and this is foreshadowing a bit, when we go look at the language thing, they're not actually talking about natural language processing. They're talking about no. designing programming languages there. They are, yeah. they are. And yeah. there's some elision here. And again, and I've mentioned this dissertation a few times because it, it is a nice history of Johnny Penn uh, and the way that um, developing programming languages, there is elision in there and thinking that programming languages themselves as being kind of a means of what is scoped as artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. which, which I think is, is, is kind of fascinating itself. And so they're all kind of talking about different things. 
Um, but yeah, let's, there's, there's a few different sections and, 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 and what, and what these are. And I wonder if we want to get into this, uh, there, there's kind of seven, uh, sub problems and this, this thing itself is contained of four sub proposals of the initial conveners. Um, so McCarthy, Minsky, Shannon, and then Newell and Simon have a joint one. Yeah. But I think, yeah, we should go through these, um, quickly, these aspects of the artificial intelligence problem. And I love how already it goes from, you know, the title is artificial intelligence. We're going to work on something called artificial intelligence. My apologies for the background noise there. Um, and then it's the artificial intelligence problem. Like that, that's mm. just like a, a thing that we're going to assert exists. And here's how we, you know, conceptualize it. So automatic computers, as opposed to the human computers like me, um, <laughs> if a machine can do a job, then an automatic calculator can be programmed to simulate the machine. Okay, fair. The speeds and memory capacities of present computers may be insufficient to simulate many of the higher functions of the human brain. Wait, what? Human brain? We were talking about machines. But the major obstacle is not the lack of machine capacity, but our inability to write programs taking full advantage of what we have. And so presupposed in this is the idea that brains are machines. Yeah. Um, and it's not argued for it at all. It's just it's just presupposed there. Yeah, it is, it is, it is uh uh just stated. The next yeah. one, how can a computer be programmed to use language? It may be speculated that a large part of human thought consists of manipulating words according to rules of reasoning and rules of conjecture. From this point of view, formalizing a generalization consists of admitting a new word and some rules whereby sentences containing it imply and are implied by others. This idea has never been precisely formulated nor have examples been worked out. Um and then one in the, in the kind of marginalia, I think one of the, uh, I think this is, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Solomov, one of the kind of invitees says, mm -hmm. I could certainly write a lot about this, which I think is kind of funny, but anyways. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is interesting because this is uh, not distinguishing between language per se and reasoning in language, right? Mm -hmm. This is like how a computer can be programmed to use a language. And then what they're talking about is human thought. Um, yeah. So, you know, yeah. and, and it's obviously very speculative. Okay. Part three, neuron nets. How can a set of hypothetical neurons be arranged so as to form concepts? Considerable theoretical and experimental work has been done on this problem by Utley, Rashevsky and his group, Farley and Clark, Pitts and McCulloch, Minsky, Rochester and Holland and others. Partial results have been obtained, but the problem needs more theoretical work. So, well, there's two things that are interesting to me here. One is that that they're called neuron nets here, but we're going to see some different words um, yeah. in the in the uh, body of the text, and also that this is so. First of all, they they um, acknowledge that they're hypothetical neurons. I appreciate that, um, mm -hmm. and what they expect them to be forming is concepts, which is I guess that persists a bit. Um, the people yeah. who work with representation learning think that those representations are concepts, but it's gotten far fuzzier, I think, in the intervening decades. Um, like, what is That's it they're true. expecting to find? Yeah, there's a few, there's a bit of work on what is considered a concept. So, for instance, I know there's there were people at Google working on um, TCAVs or uh, concept activation vectors. I forget what the T stands for. Um, but it's really unclear what they mean by concepts. And it's, I haven't seen really good explanations of that um it's and and it's so yeah i don't i don't know like what the, the scope of that explaining what a concept is here in that work 
Uh, okay, moving on. Theory of the size of a calculation. We, if we are given a well-defined problem, uh, parenthetical one for which it is possible to test mechanically whether or not a proposed answer is a valid answer, and parenthetical, one way of solving it is to try all possible answers in order. This method is insufficient, and to exclude it, one must have some criteria for efficiency of calculation. Um, some consideration will show that to get a measure of the efficiency of a calculation, it is necessary to have on hand a method of measuring the complexity of calculating devices, which in turn can be done if one has a theory of complexity of functions. Some partial results on this problem may have been obtained by Shannon and also by McCarthy. Um, th th I mean, okay, this in itself is not, is probably not a bad sort of thing to mention. And I think, I don't know if this is um, um, pre, uh, uh, a prelude to the work on just kind of uh, big O and, and big, um, you know, omega kind of complexity computations. I don't know enough about the history of those of those devices or not. Are you familiar? Do you know more about that, Emily? I, I know roughly what they are and how to use them, but I don't know their history. Um, okay. So, but it, this is what it sounded like to me too, that this is basically, you know, big O notation because this is really yeah. early in computer science, right? And yeah. it's, it's sort of interesting to me that um, AI was uh, sort of so intertwined with the project yeah. of computer science this early. Um, yeah. And then, you know, when I came up and, you know, through linguistics, but there were computer scientists around me, AI was like, you you did not claim to be working on that. That was just ridiculous, mm. right? So computer science mm. was entirely separate from AI through like the, you know, 80s and 90s, which is where 90s is where I was experiencing it. Yeah. Um, so this is like just, yeah, throwing them, throwing in programming languages or throwing in big O notation. Like this is, this is mm -hmm. all artificial intelligence for them. Yeah. All right, self-improvement. Probably a truly intelligent machine will carry out activities which may be best described as self-improvement. Some schemes for doing this have been proposed and are worth further study. No citations in this one. It seems likely that this question can be studied abstractly as well. So what's what's striking to me here is um, it's not called self-improvement anymore, but the mm -hmm. idea that systems can learn things beyond their programming is sort of core to how we talk about our, how people talk about artificial intelligence now. Um, right. And also this, a truly intelligent machine, like you mm -hmm. hear stuff like that in 2023. This is, this is like, we have, we haven't defined intelligence, but we are going to distinguish between something that is and isn't by calling out the ones that are truly intelligent and ascribing these properties to these hypothetical things. So that it's interesting sort of prefiguring of the way the hype comes across now. Yeah. Yeah. No, completely. And I think it's, there's sort of different ways. I think self-improvement has had different guises, some in reinforcement mm -hmm. learning, some in um, in kind of like active learning, but then also kind of the uh, elusive notion of emergent properties, I think also has a lot of flavors of this. Yeah. Um, okay, it's number six, abstractions. A number, a, t a number of types of abstractions, in quote, can be distinctly defined in sev several others less distinctly. A distinct a direct attempt to classify these and to describe machine methods of forming abstraction abstractions from sensory <laughs> or other data would seem worthwhile. This is this is so abstract. <laughs> um, yeah. But this is I this just, comes back in one of the specific proposals. We'll we'll see uh, it. Basically saying, mm -hmm. you know, if if the machine can come up with generalizations over what its sensors are saying, then it has learned something. Like this is sort of, yeah. you know, a lot of wishful thinking here. Um 
And, you know, I have really, I have really mixed feelings about this. You know, this is full mm -hmm. of language like would seem worthwhile. And I'm like, yes, mm -hmm. there should be science funding for scientists to just go and explore things without having to like right. make the case that it's going to, you know, uh, you know, further the military project or whatever the right. thing is. Um, right. But on the other hand, it's like, seriously, they got this funded with this kind of a weak proposal? <laughs> yeah, I mean, fun, whew, funders and the, yeah, funders were more and and i forget if i want to i'm gonna i'm gonna dip out to wikipedia in a second just to check how much of this got funded to see if if it did but i mean i i believe it didn't get funded to the full uh extent and then i'm gonna like probably also check another source yeah, yeah. but let's 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 take number okay. seven last you want to take that emily sure randomness and creativity a fairly attractive and yet clearly incomplete conjecture <laughs> This is what kind of a grant proposal, okay, uh, is yeah. that the difference between creative thinking and unimaginative competent thinking lies in the injection of some of us some randomness. The randomness must be guided by intuition to be efficient. In other words, the educated guess on the hunch include controlled randomness in otherwise orderly thinking. I have a feeling that that this was scrawled so incoherently that the secretary who did the typing couldn't <laughs> quite make sense of it. <laughs> and that's why there's so many Very like weird possible. grammatical yeah. artifacts in here. Um, but this is basically, uh, we can't just create algorithms for things we haven't understood yet. We want the so-called AIs, in quotes, to be able to solve problems for us. So we have to figure out how to get them to do things that they aren't programmed to do, I think is what that boils down mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think kind of what it is also getting at is a notion of kind of um, heuristics. So rather than thinking about kind of, and I mean, this is, you know, like, if you want to sort of get at something, you need to have something that guides you towards things, but we can't really define it. And so mm -hmm. maybe this is like a sort of, this is a, and everything else sort of category. <laughs> yeah. And it does, it does come up in the specific proposals. I mean, I, well, I do have mm -hmm. to give them that these seven things, I think all of these themes are called out in the proposals. Yeah. So they must have like collected those four and then written this summary afterwards. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah totally. All right. I think we don't have to do the, what their plans for the summer was. But yeah, I think we, I, I do want to like, before we go, I do want to kind of just note out who the people are. Mm -hmm. um, and so the first one is originators of this proposal are one CE Shannon, mathematician, uh, Bell Telephone Laboratories. Um, and it gives a little bit of his background uh, mm -hmm. kind of in focusing he and uh, John McCarthy on um, a theory of automata, mm -hmm. uh, Marvin Minsky, uh, Harvard Junior Fellow in Mathematicians in Neurology, and then this is uh, this is another uh, this is the instance of another word here for neural neur uh, neural nets, where it says Minsky has built a machine for simulated learning by nerve nets, and has written a Princeton PhD thesis in mathematics entitled Neural Network Neural Nets and the Brain Model Problem, which includes results in learning theory and the theory of random neural nets. So. Yeah, nerve nets a, and neural nets in this paragraph. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting. Minsky is kind of a fascinating figure. I was reading in in, in the Penn dissertation, uh, and this is kind of top of mind for some other writing that we're doing. Uh, you know, like Minsky did have some kind of encounter with with means of testing, like IQ tests, initially uh, butting against. Um, uh, Terman, who is, uh, I forget his first name right off, but, you know, the person that effectively 
brought the IQ test from France to uh, the U.S. Uh, and then was at Stanford and using it as a as a means of testing intelligence, and then became a bit disillusioned with it. Which thank God because there's hella problems with that. <laughs> um, but um, you know something to point out. Uh, mm. And just going through this. And, and Rochester Manager Information Systems at IBM and, and uh, Poughkeepsie, I can never say this uh, city, <laughs> um, New York, um, and had had been responsible for the design of the IBM Type 701 uh, automatic computer. Um, and again, this kind of notion of automatic programming technique as being kind of under the scope of AI. And then lastly, McCarthy himself, associate assistant professor of mathematics at Dartmouth, uh, and and focusing on uh, uh, questions connected with the mathematical nature of the thought processes, including the theory of Turing machines, the speed of computers, the relation of the brain of a brain model to its environment, and the use of languages by machines. Okay, let's yeah, go to the so budget. Okay, let's go to the budget. But first, I just want to react to this mathematical nature of the thought process, and then it's a bunch of. Um, mostly computer science things, although relation of a brain model to its environment, I'm guessing brain model is also still a computer. Like McCarthy is is LARPing as a, a neuroscientist or psychologist here, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think I think a bit. And they, I mean these are the conveners. These aren't um you know they had they they didn't really bring in a lot of psychologists from what I've read. It's it's sort of people with some affiliations to neurology and some of the early cognitive science, but they didn't, they weren't like, Hey, psychologists come, come about. Not that, yeah. not necessarily that psychologists there's, at the moment would be well suited, but yeah, you know, there's still. that too. But, but so this, it's the, it's the antecedent of today's hubris in computer science, where a lot of people say we're the problem solvers. We define the problems. We solve the problems. And our whole purpose is to basically obviate the need for experts like you. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, it feels a lot like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, from this chat, so, L. Schultz yeah. eighty two. I choose submit grant po- grant proposals titled "Goals: Ten Men and All the Things." Uh yeah, I love this. Yeah, <laughs> the kind of grant proposals you can get away with. Um, uh, the uh, the grant proposal. So this is a proposal to the Rockefeller Foundation, and I and I can't uh, talk and, and find how much of this got funded at the same time. So if anyone wants to. Uh, Take that up in the chat. That'd be awesome. Um, so the the salary. So this is of course nineteen fifty six dollars, and I estimated this. So the total is thirteen thousand five hundred. That's about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in twenty twenty three dollars. Oh, that's really uh, small. Even it's even, it's pretty yeah. small. Yeah, for yeah. for for granting standards, it's 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 a pretty small grant. Um, the thing that I I do uh, like about this is that it's um, uh, just the differentials in pay. Uh, mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. salaries for each of the faculty are twelve hundred for each faculty participant. So if you multiply that times ten, you know twelve thousand dollars. Still pretty small of a salary uh, for ten weeks um, in in. Uh, New England. I mean, I guess rent was much cheaper, right? Uh, yeah, and, uh, and and they also say that that some of the participants are still going to be paid by their home institutions. Yeah. So, in fact, there's only six of those salaries. Right, um, right. And I think there's yeah, there's ten, ten in full, and some of them yeah. stay the whole time. Ten men uh, and all the things. <laughs> ten men and all the things. Salaries for seven hundred dollars. Uh, so basically, half the salary for up to two graduate students. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, actually, you know, like 
faculty, you know, at uh, like Stanford get, probably get paid what two hundred grand a year, um, and then they, and if you're Stanford faculty, and and I am, uh, this is wishful thinking for you. Uh, <laughs> sorry, or uh, or rather, <laughs> either either I'm sorry you feel that way, or I'm happy for you. Dot JPEG, um, and so so, but the the graduate student salaries are like half that, um, and 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 if you're but you know, comparatively, graduate student salaries are what forty thousand. So I mean, that's you know, like the differential's maybe, gotten bigger. Yeah, the differential's <laughs> gotten bigger. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the richer have gotten richer, the poorer have gotten poorer. Yeah. Um, secretarial expenses of six hundred fifty, five hundred for a secretary, and one hundred fifty for duplicating expenses. So the secretary gets even less than the grad student. Uh, <laughs> and an organizational uh, expenses of two hundred dollars. Uh, for whatever, and then expenses for two or three people visiting in a short time. Uh, okay. And Budget, there's there's, there's no overhead, right? That's the other thing about grants these days is that you, <laughs> you always right. have to like multiply by 1.5 or 1.6 to get the overhead. <laughs> that's right. Dartmouth isn't taking overhead. So they, you know, they held, they, and they, and it's very funny. And they held us in, you know, the, the, um, the top of a building, uh, I think of the mathematics building uh, mm. at Dartmouth. Okay. Yeah. Let's get into the proposals. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. So Shannon, um, you know, I know Shannon as the originator of information theory, the noisy channel model, sort of a really important touchstone in how we think about um, automatic transcription, otherwise known as automatic speech recognition. And so I was kind of bummed to see him showing mm -hmm. up here, um, you know, but okay, so. I would like, Shannon says, proposal for research by C.E. Shannon. I would like to devote my research to one or both of the topics listed below. <laughs> While I hope to do so, it is possible. Okay, I might not be able to be there for the whole time. Um, all right. So if topic one, application of information theory concepts to computing machines and brain models. A basic problem in information theory is that of transmitting information reliably over a noisy channel. An analogous problem in computing machines is that of reliable computing using unreliable elements. So this all sounds pretty interesting. It doesn't actually sound like what we would recognize as, uh, you know, gestures towards artificial intelligence. Um, mm. But this, oh, yeah. The second, the second one. one does. Yeah. yeah. So two, the matched environment, brain model approach to automata. In general, a machine or animal can only adapt to or operate in the limited class of environments. So immediately we're, we are making an equivalence class between machines and organisms. Mm -hmm. Even the complex human brain first adapts to the simpler aspects of its environment and gradually builds up to the more complex features. Is that so, Shannon? Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely babies learn things, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. I propose to study the synthesis of brain models by the parallel development of a series of matched theoretical environments and corresponding brain models which adapt to them. The emphasis here is on clar clarifying the environmental model and representing it as a mathematical structure. Often in discussing mechanized intelligence, again, we're sort of saying that's a thing that mm -hmm. exists, mechanized intelligence, we think of machines performing the most advanced human thought activities. You ready for it, Alex? Proving I, theorems, I, writing music, or playing chess. <laughs> I love that this is the trio of the most advanced human thought activities. Uh, and it's just incredible um, that it's, you know, doing mathematical work, uh, writing music, which, you know, shout out, at least this is, you know, to some kind of an arts uh, based, mm -hmm. you know, endeavor. And that, but then playing chess, as we've talked about kind of ad nauseum before that chess becomes this kind of lodestar uh, of, of um, you know, a type of intelligence uh, or what's yeah. seen as intelligent. Yeah. 
Um, and it's 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 very and that's very telling that you know you don't have in here uh, you know uh, writing or um, things that are uh, uh, actually much more relational um, and 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 in in nature uh, of working with people of of uh, of co-creation of collaboration of um, you know, uh, compromising or, uh, organizing, you know, it's, it's, it's all kind of, uh, heads down, uh, I'm going to do this. And the only relation I'll have with somebody is through an incredibly narrow formalized system of, of game playing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. And then I'm proposing right. here to start at the simple. And when the environment is neither hostile, merely indifferent, nor complex, and to work up through a series of easy stages in the direction of these advanced activities. Um, so start with simple things, do some amount of it this summer, I think is what that was. Right. Do you want to do Minsky's? Yeah, I'll do Minsky. I had a few things, mostly just lots of question marks. Um, okay, so proposal for research by uh, ML Minsky is not difficult to design a machine which exhibits the following type of learning. Um, the machine is provided with an input and, out, and with input and output channels and an internal means of providing varied output responses to inputs in such a way that the machine may be quote trained by a quote trial and error process to acquire one uh, of a range of input output functions. Okay, such a machine, when placed in an appropriate environment, given a criteria for quote success or quote failure, can be trained to exhibit quote gold seeking behavior. Cool. I like all the quotes. The quotes are, yeah. I appreciate those. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of hedging here. Yeah. Uh, unless the machine is provided with or is able to develop a way of abstracting sensory material, it can progress through a, a complicated environment only through painfully slow steps and in general will not reach a high level behavior. So it's effectively saying, um, you know, like, you know, you're doing kind of a grid search and um, uh, that's really laborious. Now let the criteria success be not merely the appearance of a desired activity pattern at the output channel of the machine, but rather the performance of a given manipulation in a given environment. Then, in certain ways, the motor situation, okay, I don't know where motor came from, appears to be of a dual, a dual of the sensory situation, and progress can be reasonably fast only if the machine is equally capable of assembling in an ensemble of, quote, motor abstractions. And here I just put it big question mark, uh, relating to its output activity to changes in the environment. Such, quote, motor abstractions can be valuable only if they relate to changes in the environment, which can be detected by the machine as it changes in the sensory situation, i.e. if they are related through the structure in the environment to the sensory abstractions that the machine is using. So I'm, <laughs> this is, I, yeah, I go ahead. What's going on here is imagining actually sort of an embodied um, artificial intelligence where yeah, it's got yeah, yeah. it's got sensors and it's got the ability to affect its environment and it is doing some sort of a learning process where it is abstracting over the things that it's trying to do and the and the feedback that it's getting back and those things are coupled mm. in some way um and yeah yeah um i so. i do want to get to it yeah I, I think i think that's right and so he doesn't really mention what we call sort of like kind of robotics or anything of this nature uh but on page nine i do want to get to the end of this kind of uh, where he says the important result that would be looked for would be that the machine would tend to build up with itself an abstract model of the environment in which it's placed. So it's kind of learning kind of this kind of boundaries of where it is. If it were given a problem, it could first explore solutions within the eternal abstract model of the environment and then attempt external experiments. 
Uh, here's the kicker. Uh, because of this preliminary internal study, these external experiments would appear to be rather clever, and the behavior would have to be regarded as rather, quote, imaginative, which is like, so this is very funny because it's sort of like, all right, we're going to come up with this internal model. It's going to do things. And then this is, you know, ta-da, creativity. And I think it's so interesting. And I do want to give Minsky a little bit of props here um, because he does get a bit, he does militate a little bit out of this kind of chess playing uh, scope mm -hmm. that many, many, uh, many of the other people were taken in by. But he is sort of saying like, well, we're sort of saying if we're giving this sort of a motor kind of environment, it then like, it's it'll look imaginative. And maybe that's just what thought is you know and and so that's but it, it's so vague you know yeah very vague and i wonder like you could read this two ways you could look at basically well this will this will seem imaginative so that's good enough or it could be a warning that like hey it might seem imaginative but because we know what's going on on the inside we should mm -hmm. know better but not in this yeah. report they're not that we should know better camp yeah, um, yeah. I, I want to shout out to Owl's Car here in the in the chat. Welcome, Owl's Car. Apparently, is taking refuge here from the OpenAI keynote. Um, oh so, gosh, I didn't not, know we had competition. Yeah, <laughs> not not only are we going to be deflating hype rather than providing hype, um, but we are taking you back to the 1950s when OpenAI was not even a twinkle in anybody's eye yet. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. So next um, is Rochester's. Maybe we can uh, breeze through a little bit because uh, the last yeah. one by. Um, I think the last there's, one. There's two more. Yeah. There's McCarthy and oh, then the Simon. That's yeah. right. And yeah. then there's Newell and Simons. Yeah. yeah. So we can you breeze through this, and then uh, I know yeah. uh, McCarthy. You want to spend on because it's it's he he deals a lot with language here. Uh, yeah. So maybe we can. This one. Let's see. This a one's bit... a little bit interesting, though. So yeah, skipping down yeah. a little bit. So the process of invention or discovery, living in the environment of our culture, provides us with procedures for solving many problems, um, and so. Uh, if you've got a problem that you already understand, you basically goes like this. The environment provides data from which certain abstractions are formed. The abstractions together with certain internal habits or drives provide a definition of a problem in terms of a desired condition to be achieved in the future, a suggested action to solve the problem, stimulation to arouse in the brain, the engine which corresponds to the situation. Then the engine operates to predict what this environmental situation and the proposed re reaction will lead to. And if the predication... Now, if the prediction, sorry, corresponds to the goal, the individual proceeds to act as in indicated. This uh, is reminding me that if we were involving the psychologists of the day, we'd get a whole bunch of behaviorists. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's also because this is kind of a notion of a of, of a brain model, and they reference this person, uh, Craig. He says, mm -hmm. which, and they say, he suggests that mental action consists basically of constructing little engines inside the brain, which can simulate and thus predict abstractions related to environment. So this is sort of a brain model that then I think this, um, this is a reference back to, um, oh gosh, someone's, someone uh, who kind of, uh, I think it's Spearman, but I don't know mm -hmm. exactly, um, but like very, very, um, so back when when Spearman's writing, uh, Charles Spearman, creator of the kind of notion of of quote general intelligence and the notion mm. of G, uh, 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 also eugenicist, um, <laughs> also creator of Spearman's correlation uh, coefficient, um, is is you know also has a bit of a model, and I, I might be mis misciting it if it's Spearman, but this notion of the kind of like mini engine within the brain, um, mm -hmm. kind of model of of, of 
uh, of neuroscience, I think, you know, was was something apparently still in fashion at the time, but this is what where they're where they're borrowing from. Um, okay. So then it's talking about learning things if you don't already have the rules, either as a culture or as an individual. Um, and this, oh, this is where the randomness comes in. Mm -hmm. So I'm, this is a long one. So I've, I've skimmed down a bit. So we're still, we're still in the same, is this Rochester? Who are we talking about here? We're still, we're still in Rochester. Yeah. This is Rochester. Okay. Rochester Mm -hmm. also being a person, not just a city in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the machine with randomness in order to write a program to make an automatic calculator use originality, it will not do to introduce randomness without using foresight. If, for example, one wrote a program so that once in every 10,000 steps, the calculator generated a random number and executed it as an instruction, the result would probably be chaos. Then after a certain amount of chaos, the machine would probably try something forbidden or execute a stop instruction and the experiment would be over. Um, So yeah, you don't just put like random noise into your procedural code, but also weird foreshadowing of the AI doomers in this little bit here, right? Mm, Um, Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. um, Two approaches, however, appear to be reasonable. One of these is to find how the brain manages to do this sort of thing and copy it. (laughs) (laughs) I just, yeah, this is just just such a funny thing to say. In the next sentence, the next two sentences, I also want to say, the the other is to take some class of real problems which require originality, again, typically chess, (laughs) or... (laughs) proving theorems in their solution and attempt to find a way to write a program to solve them on an automatic calculator. Either of these approaches would probably eventually succeed. And I just have written above this, the hubris. (laughs) However, it is not clear which would be quicker nor how many years or generations it would take. Most of my effort along these lines has so far been on the former approach because I felt that it would be better to master all relevant scientific knowledge in order to work on such a hard problem. (laughs) So, Abstract abstract in the in the chat says step one solve cognition step two dot 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 step three profit and yeah. honestly what's happened is um, you know step three venture capital right? yeah, without, exactly. without steps one or two right <laughs> um, yeah right yeah, um, yeah. so yeah <laughs> Reptar please bro just one hundred billion more dollars the self driving cars will work please bro. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, here, I mean, the, the the funder here is not venture capital. It's, you know, you're appealing to the, you know, right. the, the the military industrial complex mm. at this point in time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so I think that's probably enough of Rochester, unless there's something else jumping yeah. out here. Um, yeah. Why don't we dip to, to, to McCarthy? McCarthy. Okay. Yeah. I want McCarthy. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> Okay, so during the next year and during the summer research project on artificial intelligence, I propose to study the relation of language to intelligence. It seems clear that the direct application of trial and error methods to the relation between sensory data and motor activity will not lead to any very complicated behavior. So dig at Minsky there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, rather, it is necessary for the trial and error methods to be applied at a higher level of, of abstraction. The human mind apparently uses language as its means of handling complicated phenomena. The trial and error processes at a higher level frequently take the form of formulating conjectures and testing them, because, of course, the epitome and the the what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I guess epitome of of human <sighs> thought is scientific method here. Right. Right. Um, the, the English language has a number of properties which every formal language as typed so far lacks. And I just, I love that this is an English is named, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and it's also sort of weird that like, you don't think this is true of other languages, but hey, at least, at least the language is named. 
Yeah. Um, so properties. One, arguments in English supplemented by informal mathematics can be concise. Okay. Two, English is universal in the sense that it can set up any other language within English and then use that language where it is appropriate. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I think the other languages here are meant to be mathematical languages, but also, um, yeah, we can code switch, right? It's like, right. hey, Alex, I'm going to talk to you in Japanese for a little bit. Genki desu ka? I don't know what this is about. Okay. Three, yeah. the, the user of English can refer to himself in it and formulate statements regarding his progress in solving the problem he is working on. And four, in addition to rules of proof, English, if completely formulated, would have rules of conjecture. Um, and there's a, there's a, a marginalia thing here. Um, I don't see why self-reference is important to the, 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 the something may be very important. Yeah. So I, this, yeah. yeah, this self-reference thing to me feels like a shout out to this like self-improvement, self-learning, like mm -hmm. planning sort of a thing. Um, but anyway, so the logical languages so far formulated have either been instruction lists to make computers carry out calculations specified in advance or else formalizations of parts of mathematics. The latter have been constructed so as one, to be easily described in informal mathematics, two, to allow translation of statements from informal mathematics into language, or three, to make it easy to argue about whether proofs of certain classes of propositions exist. No attempt has been made to make proofs in the artificial languages as short as informal proofs. So basically, What's the proposal here is um, I hope to try to formulate a language having these properties and in addition to contain the notions of physical object, event, et cetera, with the hope that using this language, it will be possible to programming machine to learn to play games well and do other tasks. So this is about actually developing a programming language that would yeah. be convenient to use in tasks that are designated as AI tasks. Yeah, well, I I don't even wouldn't go that far because I think it's mostly focusing on developing programming languages and saying that you know instead of having to necessarily have calculators human or human calculators, you would go ahead and have these, and they would have some correspondence in English, which you know, Grace Lee Hopper, you know, wrote COBOL, right? <laughs> and I yeah. mean, and so you did have some kind of element of this being mm -hmm. developed, you know, mm -hmm. in subsequent years, right? In in early programming languages, you know, you, this is being written at a time when IBM had only developed the 701, you know, and it's not, you know, and I mean, you already had ENIAC at this point, but then you're thinking about where's, you know, where's this kind of more common thing that can be programmed in a way that has a corresponds to English. So again, this is kind of a scoping of the kind of idea of programming language as you know, as a type of AI and scoping it, kind of scoping it up to include many things, right? Yeah, yeah. And I just a, a brief aside on sort of the English basis of a lot of the key terms in programming languages. I think that mm. that it's problematic, especially for people who are, you know, English speakers, first language, second language, doesn't matter. Um, I think it leads us to lose track of what's actually going on in the programming languages. And mm. just fun story, I had a job in grad school, um, translating error messages into Japanese. And it mm. started off as uh, checking the translations that had been done by this external company. And I was working for a database company. So it was error messages that referred to SQL keywords. And this translation company claimed that they would be able to detect those and not translate them, not treat them as English words. And they utterly failed. So I went through their first mm. pass thing and found all these errors. And so ended up actually with the job of translating into Japanese and then having my translations checked by an, another Japanese speaker later. Um, 
And in the process of doing that, when I didn't understand an error message, I would go track down the um, engineer who wrote it and get the explanation and then write a better error message. But I didn't fix the English error messages. So at the end, oh, my, my workers checked was a whole bunch of like, well, these don't say the same thing. I'm like, yeah, I know, but the Japanese is right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all that to say that yeah. it is important to understand, as most people do, programming languages for what they are. And yeah. in in these early conceptions, I mean, it's early, so of course they wouldn't have. But it's interesting to see that this is like, we're going to try to teach the computer English so I can tell the computer what to do. Seems to be the mm -hmm. motivation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a last okay. proposal. Uh, we have got about 15 minutes, and I and I and I don't have anything, uh, you know, too much to say this on, on this one. This is the proposal by um, uh, by Newell and Simon, um, and they kind of just threw a bunch of stuff at the wall. Uh, and so uh, the first one is they want to basically have something that plays chess. <laughs> and so, um, which, uh, you know, is, is a bit of a, uh, uh, you know, a kind of a meme that we're coming up across. Then they want to yeah. have something that does mathematics, uh, mm -hmm. and, and proving theorems. Um, then some, then they effectively, the one, third one is learning theory, um, where they say it is clear that I just want to read this because, uh, it, it, yeah, it is clear that any machine that can perform human functions can be turned into a model of human behavior simply by a change in viewpoint. Um, and then uh, we have been working with a mass of data available from psychological experience on human and animal learning with a view to design a machine that will behave in the same manner. Uh, you know, this is, and they said, you know, uh, you know, we uh, might be specified, but we're not as far along as this on, on the chess or the logic machines. And then some, and then the fourth one is simple theories. And I just wanted to skim this also just because of giving the background of Simon himself, who is not a computer scientist, but is an organizational um, uh, economist, right? He's a, and a political scientist. And um, there's some interesting stuff about how his procedure um, stems not from kind of thoughts of mathematics, but more from kind of origins of, of, of rational choice theory. Uh, and I see that there was a joke uh, by Abstract Tech in the in the chat where uh, <laughs> someone, a guy in a fedora, left from my closet, exclaiming "Game theory!" and vanished uh, when when uh, we mentioned mi the military industrial complex. <laughs> so there's just one thing from this that I want to lift up before we get to the fresh AI hell. Um, yeah. And this is um, uh, so under the simple theories thing, they distinguish between theories with make predictions and models with give which give outputs. And they say, in the science of very complex information processing systems, we are a long way from even knowing what questions to ask or what aspects to abstract for theory. The present need is for a large population of concrete systems that are completely understood and thereby provide a base for induction. Synthesis of models provides the appropriate technique for providing such systems, since the systems that, nat since the systems that naturally are so intractable, I think the systems that occur naturally are so intractable. Mm -hmm. um, so they're basically saying, we would like to understand better how problem solving works or how various aspects of um, human cognition work. That's too hard to study. We need a bunch of models. So we're going to make a bunch of synthetic things and then build our theories on that, which mm. is just like, yeah. okay, let's fabricate data effectively. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Are we ready to go to fresh AI hell? I think we are. All right. I realized that I did not um, come up with a prompt for you. So on the spot here, um, oh, you are um, in fresh AI, AI hell, but in the 1950s, um, 
and there is a meeting going on of the demons and you are coming in with the coffee service and trying to interrupt them. Hey, uh, who, okay. I got something I got. Okay. Oh, sorry, let me, I'm just, um, Oh, just getting through here. Uh, who had the, um, who had coffee, uh, black as the soul of, um, uh, I'm trying to think of evil people. I got the soul of Hitler himself. Uh, Okay, okay, that's for you. Uh, who had the um, triple calf uh, skinny latte made from the tears of children? Yeah, okay, here. And, oh, so, oh yeah, I Lucifer, just, oh, just give me a second. Okay, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Welcome to Fresh AI Hell. Um, and let me get this out of the way so I can see what we're looking at. All right, I am starting us off with this beautiful graph. Um, oh my gosh! From uh, someone named Josha or Josha Bach on Twitter, um, and the tweet says, uh, "When adding more participants, AI is getting better, while AI criticism gets worse. Current AI models can generate better AI criticism than human AI critics." And then there's a laughing emoji. So, Alex, would you like to describe this graph that we're looking at here? Oh my gosh! Yeah. So it's on on the x-axis is time. On the y-axis is intelligence, um, so already starting off strong. And then AI criticism is in a, a purple line, and then the founding period, which I'm assuming is, is 1956, and AI capabilities is on a blue line, uh, which the AI capabilities kind of monotonically goes up, although stagnates uh, during the AI winter. Um, and then since deep learning has just uh, been going off exponentially, uh, the the points here in um, on the, on the criticism line are philosophical investigations, which I guess Wittgenstein, uh, Weizenbaum, just Weizenbaum, no citation to what Weizenbaum, the Light Hill Report, uh, what computers can't do, semantic externalism, uh, Searle's Chinese Room, Emperor's New Mind, inactivism, then skipping all the way to algebraic mind, uh, and then they intersect at the lack of causal reasoning, which I'm assuming that's a dig at Gary Marcus, uh, algorithmic bias. Uh, and then stochastic parrots shortly after, and then doomers as being the low point. Um, yeah, an abstract act says, dare I ask what the unit of intelligence is? Uh, what else? It's 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 gotta be IQ, right? Um, but yeah, there's no there's no there's no metric of unit of intelligence here. Uh absolute brainworm chart. Uh this guy has like a hundred thousand followers though. Uh Aye. so and so you know, some people love this kind of trash. Yeah. <laughs> And what's interesting to me is that some aspects of this were apparently constructed with care. So the dates for these various <laughs> AI criticism works are, seem to be accurate. And then the 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 lines are just random. <laughs> like, you know, this is it's vibes, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just vibes. No, no yeah. data, just vibes. All right. Speaking of vibes, let's go to the Monastic Academy. So <laughs> oh, I got to describe this one. Yeah, the Monastic Academy, <laughs> building trustworthy technology embedded our computer in a wise community. I feel a need to describe this one as a Bay Area resident okay. uh, where, where there's so much crunch. Uh, you can't walk down the street without stepping on a stickers bar. So it's got three, you know, kind of a carousel here. So train, apply to join our monastic training program for three months, live, work and study meditating while supporting the community through mindful work co-work and the green oh it's not in the bay area it's in vermont yeah. so i just assumed that it was in the bay area yeah. um, it looked very bay area uh, looked very, 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 very. 
Uh, it's in Vermont, speaking of Dartmouth. And wait, Dartmouth is not in Vermont. Gosh, I keep on forgetting that. Because I think there's a city called Dartmouth in Vermont, but Dartmouth is actually in New Hampshire. Okay. Um, and then uh, AI residency. For those working at the intersection of AI and existential risk, pursue your own research and research projects, research and projects, or collaborate with us as we develop our hours. All right. I got to add in here under co-work, they've got, um, so this is in, you know, work remotely from Vermont while enjoying life in a lively community at the intersection of AI and wisdom. And I just noticed that there's a banner ad at the bottom now that says new course, Buddhism in the age of AI. Okay. Um, that was fun. I want to warn people that there's some rough stuff coming. I promise to end with a fun palate cleanser. Um, this is not yet the rough stuff. This is the title for a book in a sort of disaster webpage that they're, their template is showing. Um, Harper Collins, UK, get it together. Yeah. Um, but the title of the book, <clears throat> A Brief History of Intelligence, Why the Evolution of the Brain Holds the Key to the Future of AI. Like, I, I'm afraid that someone's going to tell us we have to like read this book to take it apart on the pod, Alex. And I just, I don't want to. There's, <laughs> I got a backlog of stuff I got to hate read. So uh, we can just add get, it to get, the stack. Get in line, get in line. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're still working on our way of, of of books from like 20 years ago. Yeah. Um yeah, this one is a <laughs> business insider article. The title is Humans Could Become Quote Part AI to Keep Up with Super Intelligent Machines. Open AI's chief scientist says that this is Ilya Sutskever. Um, and there's a picture of him standing for some reason next to a very worried looking Sam Altman with an interviewer at the very left. <laughs> and and Ilya's got his hand up high. Like it looks like he's talking about like ranking intelligence and like the machines are going to be here. So we got to join with them to be up here. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Here comes the heavy stuff. Um, so uh, 404media.co, again, shout out, wonderful new site. Um, Instagram sincerely apologizes, in quotes, for inserting terrorist into Palestinian bio translations. The C translation feature for user bios was auto translating phrases that included Palestinian and Alhamdulillah. Sorry, I do not uh, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, into praise be to God, Palestinian terrorists are fighting for their freedom, which just, uh, um, I mean, you can see how that would come about, right? Like that is the bias of the training data coming right out in the machine translation, but also like, did nobody check? <laughs> you know? yeah. Right. And I mean, yeah. Alhamdulillah is a very common phrase in Arabic, just means praise be to God. And then, you know, the, the full translation is uh, praise be Praise be to God, Palestinian terrorists are fighting for the freedom with a Palestinian flag. Um, yeah, so awful, yeah. awful shit. Right. And it gets worse. Um, so here, WhatsApp's AI is showing gun-wielding children when prompted with Palestine. So uh, by contrast, prompts for Israeli do not generate images of people wielding guns, even in response to a prompt for Israel army. Um, uh, so I haven't read this yet. Um, yeah, it's, oh, and, they they yeah. prompt it. Uh, yeah, they prompt it kind of in multiple places mm -hmm. um, with this Palestinian or Palestinian boy, and it just has a sticker uh, of a vaguely brown-looking kid with a gun. Yeah, and even Israeli military, they've got sort of pictures of kind of soldiers praying. I think there was one with like a soldier with kind of like knives sticking out of his shoulders or something. Um, it's just incredibly, uh, yeah, incredibly wild. I don't know if they fixed this, but again, this is another meta product. Um, right. Just doing incredibly. This, 
reporting was just last Friday. So yeah. Um, but yeah, but also, and this isn't this isn't like someone going and playing with you know Dolly or Midjourney. This is um some app within WhatsApp to create stickers. Like it's it's meant to be there for people to play with. Um yeah. and you know, and the other thing is that like sometimes when you see these like people prompting the systems to show how biased the output it is, they've kind of gone out of their way um, to like mm -hmm. show, which is fine. Like it's, it's worthwhile investigation. But this is like somebody could be saying, hey, I just want some self-representation here. And this yeah. is going to come back at them. Like this isn't one of those queries where you kind of have to go you stretch a little bit to see it. It's right there and it's awful. Um, and a lot of people are in my mentions being like, uh, this sounds like this is kind of a um uh someone is just like tinkering internal in the system or and i'm like no no i like i you don't you don't need to tinker internal with the system these are biases that are embedded in this right um yeah. and they're you know this is mona shalaby um data journalist uh had a at a piece last week where she had prompted chat gpt uh and i think we talked about it where you know it had uh, you know, like, do Israelis deserve freedom? And it just said, yes, everyone deserves freedom. And it says, did Palestinians deserve freedom? And it says, it's a complicated thing. So it's sort of like, um, and then uh, Bassam Yusuf, the, the uh, amazing um, uh, uh, Egyptian uh, satirist, uh, also mentioned this in an interview with Piers Morgan. And so it's sort of like, you know, the, these, you don't need someone you don't need a conspiracy theory, right? Like you have so much text on the web that has this racial ethnic bias and it gets baked in right yeah yeah and and you can't you can't create an unbiased data set but if you weren't relying on absolutely enormous data sets you could get closer like you could you could be more selective you'd have to know to be selective and you yeah. know I, I you know you have to have people thinking about these issues but you could do better all right still different application of ai um so I'm, I'll, I'll read this so you can go off on it, Alex. How's that? Yeah. Um, so this is an article on Wired from November 2nd um, by David Gilbert. The UN hired an AI company to untangle the Israeli-Palestinian crisis. Culture Pulse's AI model promises to create a realistic virtual simulation, simulation of Israel and the Palestinian territories. But don't roll your eyes. It's already been put to the test in other conflict zones. I, I'm still rolling my eyes. How about you, Alex? I'm... Almost falling out of my head. Just it just and so they've got a big kind of photo of a you know an explosion going off. I'm assuming this is in in um in, in Gaza, one of the occupied territories. Um and so this is, you know, what this is a description of is a kind of an agent-based modeling. And you know, this is and the agent-based, you know, you know, um the same and this agent-based modeling, I'll actually go up to this quote, which is I mean. That's kind of fascinating. Uh, no, no, go go a little bit up. And so uh, it says, uh, so it says, I got pulled over by the Israeli military, but I got holding a military rifle uh, because we had a Palestinian taxi driver who drove past the line he wasn't supposed to. So that was an adventure. And it's sort of just like, this is this sort of like, you know, th this strikes me as kind of a Thomas Friedman. I was in a, and I was in a taxi and this is now how I'm an expert in the region. <laughs> but then, uh, there's, you know, Take that for what you what what you will, um, but it's basically sort of like, you know, a sort of tech solutionism and a sort of idea of you model kind of um, every individual in a territory and then come up with some kind of parameters 
as a way of of solving this. So I mean, it's sort of, you know, I mean, like this is a really kind of worm-brained way of thinking. This kind of like you're you're we're using some kind of AI agent-based system to do this. And so they gather data. And if you want to scroll down a little bit, they're trying to they're trying to basically affect some kind of causal model of what is happening here um, based on kind of the agents in the system. And so this quote is is wild. In total, cultural culture pulses models can factor in over 80 categories to each quote agent, including traits like anger, anxiety, personality, morality, family, friends, financials, inclusivity, racism, and hate speech, though not all characteristics are used in all models. And it's just, oh my gosh, just like, I'm banging my head against the wall to say like, okay, you think that modeling an agent agents in a geopolitical conflict is going to tell you how you can solve, you know, uh, solve something that's been going on for 75 years and then, uh, and then, and, and trying to uh, say like, maybe you can influence somebody's behavior, a group of agents behavior, this is going to solve this. And then there's a bunch of data issues in this, um, where they use this G delt data, which, uh, is, 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 is a whole other bundle of sticks, which, you know, in, in a prior life, uh, you know, it was already writing about how G delta data is is really poor data to use kind of for any kind of um, political or social conflict. So I just I want to get to the palate cleanser because I promised yeah. the people the palate cleanser. But but first, I want to say, like, like, on the one hand, reducing people to 80 data points is not modeling people in any effective way. Yeah. Secondly, how is hate speech a category of an agent? Are they the target of the hate speech? Are they the ones producing it, et cetera? But also, if this is all about looking at individuals and none of the systemic factors, then mm-hmm. like, why is it even an interesting model to study? Like, yeah, know. this is this is hashtag methodological individualism. You know, people who completely believe all human action and kind of systemic level conflict can be boiled down to uh, individual level actions. Yeah, because uh, the model the is thing. so big, it has all the agents in it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. gosh. Yeah, I mean, shout out to the debates in you know the the '90s uh, in in uh, in American Journal of Sociology on uh, 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 against methodological individualism. Uh, mm. I don't have the site. I'll, we'll drop the citation in the show notes because I can't remember my prelims from ten years ago off the top of my head. <laughs> Alice Carr says, everything is math now and all actions exist in some vector space. Yay. Okay. You know what else exists in vector space? Your smoothie. Oh, <laughs> Here's gross. the promise palette changer. So AI powered smoothie shop goes out of business almost immediately. That was fast. This is some reporting in futurism with the, under the, the tag blender bust, which is pretty hilarious. Um, <laughs> so basically there was a, a restaurant that opened in September, I think in San Francisco, um, uh, an AI-powered bespoke smoothie shop dubbed Better Blends marketed itself as the most personalized restaurant ever. The concept was simple. You, the customer, would input your preferences into an app, and the AI would draft a hyper-personalized recipe that would then be blended by human employees. And basically, it seemed like the people running this place had no idea how to run a restaurant, and it and it just went under basically immediately. Um, so a little bit of schadenfreude there. Um, I don't know. Like, if it was a competently run restaurant, I might have gone and tried it. 
Um, there was that Coke that was, they said, was developed with the aid of artificial intelligence. Uh, and I remember, I haven't tried it, and I, I feel like I need to try it. But they, um, I think on Twitter, people were saying it was kind of like weird hints of anywhere from like citrus to cotton candy to kind of meat. Um <laughs> I don't, I don't drink Coke, but if I did, I don't think I'd want it to taste like meat. Oh, but there was some Willy Wonka reference earlier in the chat. I feel like that's sort of like, remember the, the, the chewing gum that like takes you oh, through all the flavors of a mm. meal? It feels kind of like that. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. All, all right. right. Well, thank you for this palate cleanser uh i'm glad we made it through all that thanks for sticking with us folks that's it for yeah. this week our theme song is by toby menon graphic design by naomi pleasure park production by christy taylor and thanks as always to the distributed ai research institute if you like this show you can support us by rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts and spotify and by donating to dare at dareinstitute.org that's d-a-i-r hyphen institute.org Find us and all our past episodes on PeerTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch and comment on the show while it's happening live on our Twitch stream. That's twitch.tv slash dare underscore institute. Again, that's D-A-I-R underscore institute. I'm Emily M. Bender. And I'm Alex Hanna. Stay out of AI hell, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>